worries. Okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah, if you're following along in the Pew Bibles, uh, page 859. Uh, so, from starting from verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the suffering of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or as a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for the judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Tony, and I'm part of the mission team that's up here from uh, Sydney, uh, serving the congregation and the community this week. And uh, it's been such a great privilege to be able to spend the time uh, to get to know uh, many of the people here, to get to know the community, and to be able to see the work of God in the lives of so many people. Uh, for those who haven't met me, my name's Tony. I'm married to Yen Lee. Uh, we've been married for two and a half years now. Uh, I, Yen Lee is Indonesian, but I am Australian-born Vietnamese. So hence the very Australian accent. Uh, now, Yen Li's parents don't know English, and so I need to learn Indonesian. Uh, and so my Indonesian is probably the same as Scots, maybe a little bit further. Um, but how about uh, join me in prayer uh, as we look at God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege to be able to sit under your word, to be able to open it up and to uh, see... How what you have for us. And we pray today that as we continue to see the great work of Jesus, that you can help us to respond and to live lives that glorify you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, in your outlines uh, are some headings. So if you're a note taker, feel free to use that and I'll point us in um, yeah, where we're up to as we go. <clears throat> now, suffering for being a Christian happens more frequently than you might be aware of. Uh, just this week, I was going through uh, looking at the different headings of some articles online to see what's been happening around the world. Uh, and these are some of the headings of the articles that came up. Seven-year-old child killed in a grenade attack on Christian colony in Pakistan. Iraqi Christians persecuted and left behind. Restrictions on Christians set to become tighter in Kazakhstan. Christian African migrants sold as slaves in Libyan slave market. Mauritian government strengthens blasphemy laws. Algerian police shut down church over illegal church Christian literature. One in five Muslim students would support the establishment of an Islamic state in Indonesia. Our passage today deals with the issue of suffering for being a Christian. It's not a passage about suffering in the world, the pains and sufferings of the things that we go through in general. Uh, but rather, Peter has been writing specifically to the Christians who've been scattered as a result of the persecution of the early church. But even as they are scattered, they still face opposition and face trials of many kinds for being identified as a follower of Jesus. 
all through the book of 1 Peter, he's been showing his readers that suffering for being a Christian is normal and is actually a part of God's plan. In chapter 1, verses 6 to 7, Peter says that suffering is a test for the genuineness of a Christian's faith. In 2.21, uh, Christians are called to suffer because Christ suffered for them. 3 verse 9, Christians are called to do good even if they suffer for it. And 4 verse 1 talks about the suffering in the body for those who are no longer bound by sin. Peter makes the case that suffering is normal because God has called Christians to suffer. And he continues to make that case here in chapter 4. Read verse 12 with me. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. We see Peter telling those in the church not to be surprised at the painful trials that they are facing for their faith. It isn't something strange that's happening to them. Why? Because it's a normal reality of the Christian life. Back in the first century AD, when this letter was written, Christians were being arrested having their property seized, imprisoned, tortured, and even put to death because they were followers of Jesus. And Peter was writing this letter to encourage them to remain firm in their faith until Jesus returns. Suffering was the norm for Christians back then. And suffering is still the norm for many Christians today in other parts of the world. In countries like North Korea, Somalia, Afghanistan, China, Sudan, Indonesia, and many more. Admitting that you read the Bible can land you in prison, and converting to Christianity can cost you your life. As bad as our brothers and sisters face suffering in these countries, it's hard for us to comprehend and identify what suffering as a Christian looks like. We live in a Western society which has benefited from hundreds of years of Christian heritage, which has resulted in much freedoms and protections. We live in a strange time here in Australia where you can be a Christian and be comfortable and face almost no suffering as a Christian. Many of us choose to live in Port Macquarie for the easy lifestyle. For many of us, the drive to work is less than 10 minutes. The beach is just down the road. You can go fishing along the river. There's no traffic, you can get anywhere very quickly. There seems to be barely any uh, uh, trials for being a Christian. And so to expect any form of suffering seems surprising and strange to us, let alone experience any trials for ourselves. But you can sense with the recent postal plebiscite that society is starting to turn its back on its Christian heritage and is heading towards being intolerant of some of the Christian views. And I'm sure that there are members here in this congregation who are starting to feel the pressures of society forcing them to embrace same-sex marriage and to stop being bigots and ignorant, to accept and embrace that love is love. Certain roles and certain companies will force us into uncomfortable positions that will force us to choose to embrace same-sex marriage or face being accused of discrimination. And society will only go further and further down the track to the point where it becomes anti-Christian. And then our society will revert back 
to what it should be, to what the Bible says is the norm, that Christians become the persecuted minority for their faith in Jesus. Peter describes these trials as painful trials. Sometimes they will hurt a little bit, like the time when you try and put out the fire with your fingers on a birthday cake. And sometimes it'll feel like it will consume us, like the bushfire at Lionburners Creek National Park just across the river, which has burnt down over 1,800 uh, hectares. But during those tough times, uh, when being a Christian results in suffering, Peter tells us how to respond. Let's have a look at verse 12 again. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. We are told to rejoice so that we may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And this can seem surprising and strange, to use the words of verse 12, because it isn't natural to be full of joy when you're being persecuted. Now, I remember when I first started high school, uh, I was one of the very few Asians in my predominantly Anglo school, uh, and some of the kids would tease me, uh, and they would say that, uh, you know, I lived in the Buddhist monastery across the road from the school uh, simply because I was Asian. Uh, now, I was pretty offended by it at the time uh, because I was a Christian, and it wasn't very nice of them to assume that just because I was an Asian that all Asians are monks. Uh, now, looking back, I missed the opportunity to get back at them uh, and to keep running with that stereotype and say, oh, you know, I'm black belt kung fu, watch out. <laughs> what I can say, though, is that going through such suffering was not full of joy. Uh, and I certainly wasn't looking for the silver lining in those times. I would actively try to avoid being in the same part of the school with these kids. And our natural tendency is to avoid or to run away from suffering because it hurts, it really does hurt. And there's a real temptation to keep quiet about our faith when it comes to issues that will cause us to suffer because of our trust in Jesus. But verse, verse 13 helps us to see that we participate in the sufferings of Christ, we share in his sufferings. Not that we will participate in his crucifixion and need to add to our salvation by doing something extra, but in 2.21, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. How is it that Christ suffered? Well, as we read in the biographies of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see his sufferings in more detail. Jesus was betrayed by a trusted friend. Jesus was falsely accused by his enemies. Jesus was condemned by his own people. Jesus was convicted as a petty criminal. Jesus was brutally beaten by soldiers. Jesus was nailed to that shameful Roman cross. And ultimately, Jesus was forsaken by his own father. If this is the way that Christ suffered, why should we expect any different? When we live our lives as faithful, God-fearing Christians, shouldn't we expect that there will be times when we will be betrayed by the ones that we trust when we show hospitality and generosity without being returned. There may be times when we're falsely accused as bigots simply for disagreeing with others' points of view. 
There may be times when we are condemned by our friends for making a godly decision to go to church on a Sunday rather than to go to the pub with friends. There may be times when we're ostracized at work for refusing to make unethical decisions. And there may be times when we are forsaken by our very own family members because we choose to put God before them. These are the realities that we've all faced at some point in time in our lives for being Christians. But instead of being surprised, Christians are to rejoice and to be overjoyed as we participate in the sufferings of Christ. Why? Because his glory will be revealed when he returns. The great news of the gospel is that Jesus will return and his glory will be revealed. We will enjoy eternity in heaven with Jesus and those who've mocked and rejected him will be judged and condemned for eternity. There is something to look forward to as we suffer because we know that the suffering is not in vain. Our persecuted and suffering brothers and sisters in Christ in other countries, they rejoice and they'll be overjoyed because they understand what the return of Jesus means. They understand that when Jesus comes back, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more suffering. For them, all of that will be done away with. I think the challenge for us is that we get too comfortable in this world and we seek to avoid suffering, and so we don't really look forward to heaven in the way that others do. Because really, Port Macquarie is heaven on earth, isn't it? <laughs> so we need to ask ourselves, do we avoid participating in the sufferings of Christ because we think suffering for being a Christian is strange and surprising? If so, I think we need to make a mind shift because if we are followers of Christ, we shouldn't expect anything less than to share in his suffering, whatever that may look like in your lives. And we should expect things to get worse in Australia for Christians. And unless we see that suffering uh, is something that we join in with Christ, we'll, un we'll be unprepared for the fiery trials that we'll face. And it will catch us by surprise. And it will be very difficult to endure in those times because we haven't understood and built on that foundation. One of the ways in which we suffer as Christians is described in verses 14 to 16. Let's have a read of that. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For the time for judgment to begin with for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? Of God. Sorry, I misread that. 14, 16, I'll start again. Uh, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Now, during the week in preparation for this sermon, I did a bit of a Google search. Uh, to see what the world thinks about Christians. And so I typed in why Christians are and then press enter to see what the different search results that people look up. Uh, some of the top answers were why are Christians so judgmental? Why are Christians so mean? Why are Christians so defensive? Why are Christians so ignorant? Why are Christians so fake? 
And as I scrolled through the top pages looking for something positive about Christians, it wasn't until page four uh, in the 38th result that I saw why are Christians always smiling. So that was nice. Uh, out of curiosity, I wanted to do. I wanted to keep going, uh, keep looking further down the list to find something uh, that was a bit more biblical, uh, to see what actually uh, I might find. Uh, and what I did find was a link to an opinion piece titled "Why I Really Do Believe Christians Do More Good Than Atheists." And do you know where that was sitting on the search list? It's all the way at page nine, the 90th result. And that's not even really a biblical answer. Um, but you can see what the world thinks of Christians. A form of the painful trial that we may experience is to be insulted for the name of Christ. And here in Australia, the worst we might get is a weird look when we say, oh, look, I'm a follower of Jesus. Occasionally, we might get insulted in a subtle way. Oh, you're not one of those born-again Christians, are you? Oh, you believe that Jesus was born at Christmas? Oh, that's nice. Oh, you, you go to church each week and help at Sunday school? Oh, I'm glad you found a purpose in life. Sometimes uh, people may be a bit more explicit uh, and give us a mouthful of why Christians are hypocrites, but I'm not going to give any examples of that. Uh, as much as a curse as these insults may seem, Peter tells us in verse 14 that being insulted for being a Christian is actually a blessing. You can only be insulted for being a Christian if you are actually living as a Christian and are actually doing the things that brings glory to God. If you lived in a way that non-Christians do, uh, living as anyone else, as the way that uh, the world does, choosing to run life our own way and not with God uh, as our king, uh, then of course the world's not going to insult us. Of course the world is not going to say something bad about us because when they look at us, they'll say, oh, you're like the rest of us nothing different and so there is no glory to God but praise God if you are insulted because it shows that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you helping you to live out holy lives and remaining remaining faithful to Christ even in the midst of being insulted for being his disciple and what a great reassurance that when we suffer and remain faithful it shows that God's spirit rests on us and he helps us to endure even when it's difficult it would be shameful to suffer and to be insulted if we were murderers thieves meddlers evildoers who don't acknowledge god as ruler of their lives and there is no honor in being a criminal or even in the little things like meddling so when these types of people are insulted uh, for being who they are as criminals of course they would be ashamed. Of course there's shame in that. But for those who suffer as Christians, there is no shame because we're participating in the sufferings of Christ who was ultimately glorified when he was resurrected um, and will be glorified when he returns. And so we glorify God when we tell people that we are Christians in the midst of our suffering because we endure and when people see that we endure in the midst of suffering, they see that there's something behind this truth that you believe. Now, an example of that is my mum. Uh, she's a faithful, God-fearing woman and really loves Jesus and loves others. Uh, and my two brothers, uh, they're non-Christian uh, and they're almost anti-Christian at times. 
And particularly with the uh, postal plebiscite about same-sex marriage, there's been quite a bit of tension uh, in the family with that. Uh, and so that, that had a very um, yeah, personal impact for our family. And uh, for my mum, uh, she was very clear on what she wanted to vote, and that was no. But my brothers, uh, they were saying, look, how come mum, you're so intolerant? How come you, know, you can't just accept people for who they are? Uh, and it was a very painful time for her because they just made it really hard for her and saying, you know, you Christians, you know, you say you love God, but you can't love others. Uh, but yet she was able to endure through that. Uh, and through that, uh, even though my brothers may not see it, she was bringing glory to God uh, because she was saying to them through her actions, my love for God and his love for me is bigger than the suffering and the trials that you're putting me under. And so that was a real encouragement for me. And if you're currently experiencing suffering because you've made these types of decisions in your life uh, to honour God, uh, those decisions may seem foolish to those people around you. But keep praising God. Keep enduring, because that will bring glory to God. And it is a powerful testimony of the work that God is doing in your life to help you to keep enduring for the sake of Christ. And if you're finding it difficult to endure and sometimes feel ashamed that you're a Christian and don't want to admit that to those around you, keep looking back to the shame of the cross and how Jesus willingly endured so that you could be freed from the shame of your sinfulness. And keep praising God and trusting him to sustain you in the midst of your um, fiery ordeals. We're up to point two, uh, suffering and sanctification or judgment. At this stage in Peter's letter, he introduces a new reason for suffering, and that's judgment. Let's have a look at verses 17 to 18, and this time for real. Uh, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will, be the outcome, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and sinner? Peter here is saying that suffering is judgment by God onto two groups of people. Those in his family, Christians, and the other group being those who don't obey the gospel of God, those who don't uh, follow Jesus. Now, let me be clear at this point. Uh, in this context, uh, judgment isn't about punishment for doing evil. That's not what this passage is saying. To better understand why Peter describes suffering as judgment for both the believers and the unbelievers, uh, we need to go back to the Old Testament and have a look at the book of Malachi to see what Peter uh, is alluding to. So in your church Bibles, um, page 676, uh, we'll be reading from chapter 2, uh, verses 17. I'll give everyone a chance to open to that. So Malachi chapter 2, verses 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying... All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? 
Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. In Malachi, God's judgment is reserved for both his chosen people and his enemies, but for different purposes. What we'll see is that whilst, God's, whilst both God's people and God's enemies will face God's fiery judgment, the outcome is very different. We see a prophecy about a time when the people of God uh, were getting it all wrong by saying that evil people were doing good in God's eyes and that God is pleased with these evil people. But the Lord is tired of their empty words and their unacceptable sacrifices and their injustice. And as a result, the Lord himself will come to his temple and his appearing will bring about a purifying process where he will be like a refiner's fire that will purify his people like gold and silver. Now to purify gold, what you need to do is to take out the gold ore from the ground, which is worth very little in its current state. And then you need to heat it up to a temperature of over 1,000 degrees Celsius to melt away the gold so that it becomes pure. And only once it's been separated is the gold worth something. It actually becomes valuable, a lot more valuable than what it started out as. And in the same way, God will purify and sanctify his people through painful trials. The result is that they will be righteous and able to sacrifice uh, to the Lord that he will accept. God will put his people on trial, but they do not need to fear God because although the process will be painful, the result at the end will be glorious. God starts his judgment with his people, with his family, who ultimately will become acceptable to him. And then judgment will then go to those who are his enemies. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. Here we see that God's judgment is described as a furnace, which has the sole purpose of setting things on fire to burn them up. All who are arrogant and an evildoer who rejects God will be reduced to stubble. The bits at the bottom of a grain stalk after it's been harvested, good for nothing except to be dug up and burnt. The painful trials that will result in their destruction, sorry, the uh, painful trials that non-Christians will face will be their destruction. And there is no purifying process. It's simply ashes that is of no value. So going back and looking at 1 Peter 4.17, we see that God's judgment begins with his followers and then it will move on to those who don't obey the gospel of God. With the judgment on those he has forgiven so harsh, being so painful, 
Peter is making the point that judgment for those whom he hasn't forgiven, for those who aren't a part of God's family, is going to be so much worse. The outcome of the painful trials is either sanctification for those who believe or judgment for those who don't believe that will lead to eternal condemnation. Verse 18, if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? That's taken from Proverbs chapter 11, 31. And Peter here is reinforcing his point that if Christians will be saved through the path of painful trials, and it's not going to be an easy journey, it will be difficult as they wait for the glory of God, then the ungodly, the sinner, they're going to face so much worse in eternity than what Christians will face in this lifetime. For those in this room today who are not participating in the sufferings of Christ because you have not submitted your life to Jesus, the outcome for your disobedience to the gospel will be so much harsher than any form of suffering that Christians will go through in this lifetime. If you think the unfair imprisonment, the unjust punishments, the torture, the death that Christians face now is harsh, the outcome in hell will be so much worse. The Bible says that the ungodly and sinner will face God's fiery wrath, and the outcome won't be sanctification. It will be your judgment and destruction. And this is not a position you want to be in when the time comes for judgment, when Jesus returns. But if you turn to him today, you'll be overjoyed when his glory is revealed because you have been saved and you are now a part of God's family that has been redeemed. Can I encourage you that if you identify with this, if you're in this category, to make a decision today to move towards becoming a part of God's family because the alternative is eternity without any goodness, an eternity without love, without laughter, without joy, without excitement. All of that will be replaced with eternal sorrow, pain, tears, sadness, loneliness, in eternity without the goodness of God. We're on to our third point, suffering according to God's will. Peter ends this part of the letter uh, with verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. There's two instructions here for those who suffer according to God's will. Firstly, they're to commit themselves to a faithful creator and to continue to do good. And we'll explore the both of these and think about our response as we suffer for being Christians. Firstly, we are told to commit to being, commit ourselves to our faithful creator. And Peter chooses his words very intentionally here by describing God as faithful creator. Peter reminds us that God is faithful. Even in the midst of suffering, of being insulted for the name of Christ, God has promised that this painful experience is used by God to refine and to sanctify us. Just as God was faithful in raising Jesus from the dead to be the risen king of the world, so too will God be faithful to us and raise us up with him on the last day when his glory is revealed to be in heaven with him where there will be promise of no more suffering, no more pain and no more tears, 
and it will be fulfilled. But there may be times in our, uh, in our difficulties, uh, in our painful trials, where we feel it's, it's too difficult. It's too hard to keep trusting God. We feel that God has abandoned us and that keeping the faith is just too costly. The great news is that God is faithful even when we doubt Him, even when we stray from Him, even when we are faithless. God is faithful. So if you're going through a difficult time at the moment for your faith, rest assured that God's Spirit is resting on you and He's helping you to endure even when you feel that you can't keep going, that you can't keep living for Him. Not only that, but because God is our Creator, He understands us completely. He's able to understand the suffering, the hardships that we're facing because He's created us. And He knows how much we can face in order to test and to strengthen our faith. And we know that we're blessed because his spirit rests over us so that we can endure. Finally, Peter finishes with the instruction to continue to do good. Now, continue implies that the Christians were already doing good. Uh, So in the face of suffering, to continue to do it even when it gets hard. When things are going well and when there's not a worry in life, uh, you know, when everything's easy, doing good is easy. It's easy to love people. It's easy to invite them over for a meal. Uh, It's easy to offer people a lift down to the shops. It's easy to give generously to church. It's easy to invite friends to church and to carols, to attend Bible studies weekly, to go to Christmas service. However, when things get tough, when we start experiencing those painful trials in life, we can get very easily distracted from doing good and focus on us and on our suffering. We find it harder to love people. We find it harder to be hospitable, to be generous with our time and money. The challenge for us during those times of difficulty for our faith is whether we'll keep remembering our faithful creator and how he's using those trials to sanctify us. Will we keep remembering that it is God's will for us to suffer because we participate in Christ's sufferings? As we continue to do good by loving God and caring for our brothers and sisters in Christ, we can rest assured that the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. What will you do to commit yourself to our faithful creator and to continue to do good when you suffer for the sake of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us your spirit of glory that rests on us when we suffer for your sake. We thank you that just as Christ suffered and was glorified, we too know that we will share in his sufferings, but we also can be confident that we will share in his glory when he returns. We pray that you may continue to sustain us in the face of trials, in the face of being insulted for being believers of Jesus. Help us to keep knowing that these are there to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ. And help us to continue to do good, to continue to love you and to love others as we patiently wait the return of our risen Saviour, Jesus.
We pray these things in his great name. Amen.